0: Ruthless Aggression
1: From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era.
0: Ruthless Aggression
1: As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame-level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the whole media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode, Brock Lesnar visited the same obliteration on Matt Hardy as he did on Jeff at Backlash. Ric Flair found himself losing the respect of the ring crew and superstars for what they interpreted as Flair screwing Stone Cold Steve Austin out of the number one contendership. Under the advice of Arn Anderson, Flair addressed the WWF fans in an attempt to prove he'd made an honest mistake. Flair provided footage of an alternate camera angle that proved he couldn't possibly have seen Austin's foot on the bottom rope. Austin, however, was not so quick to believe Flair. In an attempt to make things right, Flair put Austin and Bradshaw in a tag team match against Scott Hall and X-Pac. Bradshaw was assaulted backstage, leading to Flair replacing him in the match with Big Show. Unfortunately for Austin, Big Show was in league with the NWO, and made his membership official by turning on Austin and chokeslamming him during the match. Undertaker, meanwhile, twisted the knife by complimenting Flair's officiating. Triple H, invading Raw, responded by assaulting and bloodying Undertaker, whose own actions over the preceding months left him without any allies to help him. Triple H attempted to strike Undertaker with his signature sledgehammer, but was arrested by police and escorted away to the police station. The Rock enjoyed success with The Scorpion King, breaking records in opening weekend. Goldust and Booker T reviewed the movie, giving it a rave review, though both argued that they should have been cast as the Scorpion King instead. Unfortunately, that particular funny segment isn't available on the WWE Network, possibly because Booker T drops a homophobic remark at the end of it. Trish Stratus continued to receive the ire of both Molly Holly and WWF Women's Champion Jazz. Sean Stasiak continued to behave like a cunt. And incidentally, because there's nowhere else to put this information, it was announced on this week's episode of Metal that Lita seriously injured her neck when filming an episode of Dark Angel. As a result, Lita was down for neck surgery under Dr. Youngblood, the same doctor who operated on the broken neck of Stone Cold Steve Austin. As a result, she's going to be off TV For six to nine months' worth of time on our timeline. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Ruthless Aggression Relived. I'm your host, LT Fletcher, and joining me today on this little jaunt into WWE history is a good friend of mine, the one and only Stuart Gipps. Stu, how the... Devil are you today? Hello,
2: I'm very well, thank you. I'm excited to do a wrestling podcast. This is new. This is new for me. Usually, it's just our other podcast that evolves into becoming a wrestling
1: podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 24 minutes of Animaniacs discussion. Yeah, or alternatively, two and a half hours of talking about wrestling and yeah. three minutes of Animaniacs discussion.
2: <laughs> it's it's it's, the, it's always the famous way, you know.
1: Hmm. It's it's the best way. All things must lead to wrestling. All roads lead to Rome. All
2: roads lead to Roman Reigns.
1: Roman <laughs> God. I was I was wrecking my brains trying to think of a good pun. Maybe um, I think WWE yeah, would
2: come up with that and be like, put this on a shirt right now. <laughs> have him question say question. it in every <laughs> have him say it in a promo. Have Michael Cole say it. I was going to say I can, I can absolutely
1: hear Cole. Yeah, and over that. and over
2: again, have him say this constantly. <laughs> have him say nothing else. Just no, nothing, no analysis, no other words. All he says over and over again is "All roads lead to Roman Reigns." <laughs> All roads lead to Roman Reigns. Have it projected in one of those giant fake things, like hologram things they have. Oh, are, yeah, that, the, the weird the CGI AR things. things. Because... Have them uh, saying "All roads lead to Roman Reigns." No other wrestlers either, just and Roman Reigns. a picture of the
1: M25. Yes, perfect, with Roman
2: Reigns at the end of it. <laughs> oh man, this is a horrible nightmare, but um, weirdly enough, only about twice as bad as the product currently is. <laughs>
1: uh shall we before we get into today's episode shall we give our dear listeners uh, a bit of an introduction to you and your wrestling history what no uh, yeah let's do it Sorry. what What was your sort of because compared to a lot of my wrestling yeah. friends you're relatively extremely uh, late converts. bloomer
2: extremely late bloomer with this whole this business yeah, yeah. this crazy carny business so um, what
1: sort of got you into it, and what are your... I think... I mean, obviously, you don't have any
2: memories of this time. because No, I don't. Then, but I, the... What got me into it, I think, was I wanted a fun wrestling This is such a lame way of getting into wrestling. I wanted <laughs> a fun wrestling game for PS3 for my console. I'm and lucky, I... Well, no, I the, I was all, I got all, there is one, and it's called All-Stars. I'm getting to it. Yes. <laughs> and I picked up WWE All-Stars because that's the one that everyone said to get. Mm. And the mode, there's a mode in there I forget the name of, but essentially it's Dream Matches. Mm. Where one of the classic WWE Superstars TM goes up against one of the modern WWE Superstars TM. <laughs> and they cut these video promos They're incredible. really, really well to make it seem like they are feuding with one another. Yeah. They did like an absolutely stunning, staggering, impressive they job. They are there.
1: amazing yeah. pieces of video editing. Like, genuinely, the, I, I think the Austin Punk one is probably one of the best video packages that they've ever done. And it's, it's not even extremely real. watchable.
2: Um, it's so good. Now, as a result of that, uh, enjoying that a lot and seeing those videos and thinking, man, I quite enjoy the sort of drama of these. I'd like to know what this is like now. Mm. So I bought the current then-current WWE 2K, which I think was 15.
1: Oh, you poor bastard.
2: Well, but then I tried the showcase mode, and the showcase is the CM Punk slash John Cena feud. True. And the video packages for that, again, absolutely sold the living shit out of it. Like, the drama was tangible. Mm. And it made me go... Like this shit's this shit's fantastic. What's this like now? So I looked, I downloaded an episode of Raw, and that's that was it. Like I, it wasn't a good episode of Raw, you mm. know, because there there aren't any anymore. But <laughs> it was enough to make me go, I get this. I like, I see why this is like why this has a following. I appreciate what this is. I mean, for me with wrestling, I'm I'm way more of a obsessively read about it person than i am a sit down and actually watch full-on sure. like shows i do watch the big shows i do watch shows occasionally um i watch aew more than wwe mm. which, because i watch it more than no times um, <laughs> i i watched wwe quite religiously through 2015 through most of 2016 i think all of 2016 in fact Yes, and it was. I remember, I remember you were
1: you were an early uh, an early passenger on the Roman Reigns bandwagon. I recall. was,
2: and then 2017, I think, was when I uh, slowed down with it. Um, I would still watch WrestleMania live a few more years after that. Sure, but it did slowly start to push me away because it was so. Um, I don't know how to describe why it's bad. It, 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 once you watch it for long enough, you start to notice the oh, that they only do three things. Mm-hmm. Which is that they either do a DQ, a win, or a distraction finish. Yeah. And they use the distraction finish so often that it almost becomes comical. Yes. Because for one thing, wrestling is fake. I know that it's fake.
0: (laughs) But for another
2: (laughs) thing... You don't want to think that the wrestlers are idiots, because <laughs> no. if you th- if you think that, then why would you be invested in them? When their baby faces right. are so stupid, they'll take their eyes off their opponent for like minutes to run over to the side of the to, to the ring and look at the Titantron mm. when they play the music of. I said, but that's else their the rivals'
1: day. music. They have to stand yeah. looking at the stage. I, I have
2: to see that it's like the rules of the rules of wrestling. Like number one. Whenever you get on a ladder, you instantly become like completely physically inept. <laughs> yeah,
1: completely. Yeah, you
2: forget how to climb a ladder. They they, <laughs> they, they imprint amnesia on you somehow. Uh, just, I say number one, number two. If someone Irish whips you, you have to run. <laughs> yes, in the yes, direction that's that fair. That you've been Irish whipped until you either until you hit the ring until you hit the 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 ropes, in which case you begin running the other direction. Or until they clothesline you. Basically. I
1: I remember reading an anecdote where someone <laughs> mm. tried an Irish whip in a fight and got mm. the fuck knocked out of them as a result. Don't do that in a real fight, guys. It's not a real move.
2: No, no. Um, I did. I, I suppose I didn't mean Irish whip. I just meant if you launch the ropes in general. You've got to no, keep sure. Going. But, but I was the games. Yeah, it does. It
1: doesn't make any sense as moves go. Like no. You know, it, it 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 it's weird because you unlike it, like every single other wrestling move ever. Well, it's one of those where when you're watching a wrestling match, you do sort of buy into it. You forget that mm. it's bollocks. But if you saw it happen in real life, you'd be like, "What the fuck just happened? <laughs> Why did he allow that to happen to him?"
2: Well, it's it's one of the, it's like you know everyone everyone knows his So It's not worth getting into. But sure. the you need to be able to suspend disbelief, and there are some things yes. that are just too stupid. Yes. Um, So I sort of drifted off watching that, and the Saudi thing really killed it for me. I think WWE. that switched a lot of fans. I well. was just like, nope. I will still look at the Rumble, because mm-hmm. it's the Rumble. Yeah. I will still look at WrestleMania, but I don't think I can with the, the weekly shows. Sure. I, I, I feel like there could come a time in the future when... I mean, there will come a time in the future when it gets good again, because that's how yeah. wrestling works, but... At the moment, I'm okay with New Japan and AEW. They're putting out enough... AEW in particular are putting out enough consistently good stuff for me to keep paying attention to them, basically.
1: I think it's difficult as well being a British fan because if you don't have the extremely expensive premium package that WWE comes on, well, you might as well just fuck off. I don't even know what they're on anymore. Currently, it's on BT Sport, and I'm not being funny. I don't like football, so I'm not going to pay a BT Sports package for... I don't know, four hours well, that's of That's kind of wild to me,
2: because that means that AEW in the UK is literally have on a better station than WWE, which is crazy to think well, of. Well, it's, it's interesting. Considering really WWE because... are like the leading yeah. um, company, I, I mean, by it's, a long way.
1: it's been that way for a while, to be honest, in Britain, because back during this sort of time frame, yeah. TNA were getting better. They they were quite proud of this. You know, the UK was their big market, really, because they were getting Consistently better ratings on their first run broadcast than what WWE. Were they on? What, what they weren't, they... what they weren't telling you though, was that hmm. TNA were on freeview, uh, and WWE's first run broadcasts were at two in the morning on Sky Sports. So what, of course what, they what, were getting better results. What, what 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 channel was TNA on in the UK? I I don't remember whether it was called Spike at the time, but it was it was like the equivalent of that. Right. It might, right, it might, have, it might much it much have been so. challenge TV to be honest. Oh wow. amazing. Which to be fair <laughs> when you are up against reruns of uh, you know, <laughs> blockbusters and that I yeah. suppose it's not gonna be that big of a, a competition, but yeah.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I mean Bob Holness, no no shade thrown at Bob. Of Holness. course. His yeah.
1: Holiness Bob Holness.
2: Yeah. Um but no, then after that, then after WWE, I, I I sort of was like paying attention to like Double or Nothing and all these mm. things that were coming up and thinking this could be really exciting, and it, and it turned out that it was, so that was mm-hmm. nice.
1: Today, we are not looking at modern WWE. We are jumping back into this is quite an appropriate one actually because this week, this very week as we record this, WWE have celebrated the twentieth anniversary of the debut appearance of a, a certain young gentleman who makes his appearance on this show for the first maven. time oh. the legend maven now <laughs> um it's tw- 20 years since randy orton the li- let's face it a living legend in the business has made his debut with the company and we're going to be covering that today as we jump back yeah. to the april 25th 2002 episode of smackdown ooh exciting
2: i was quite excited to get the debut i was like oh it's the debut of
1: randy yeah He's, he's he looks very different these days. I mean, I know obviously he's older, but uh, yeah. But we'll get to that. So we pick things up uh, from you know fairly well from where the pay per view ended uh, the previous week. Hulk Hogan opens up the show and he announces that he'll give Triple H his promised rematch tonight in front of this Peoria crowd. Uh, Triple H hits the ring. And accepts the challenge, and asks if Ho- asks Hogan if he'll extend his hand in defeat after he wins, as Triple H did at Backlash. But then, of course, out comes Vince McMahon, and he takes umbrage at the two of them making a match without his say so. Um, I I quite like this sort of dickish moment from Vince. He's like, Vince asks the fans if they want to see Triple H get his rematch, and obviously the fans are you know they go wild. That yeah. Way. And then Vince being Vince just refuses to book the match. Like, well, that, that's a perfect metaphor for Vince. It's like, well, I we was listen, little, I we was listen little, to the fans, but we don't action it.
2: I was a little confused by it because he, I mean, obviously he's supposed to be heel. Yes. Because he's, he's stopping the match, but the reasoning he's given for stopping the match is actually kind of logical.
1: Yes, Vince intends to clean up the criminal element in the WWF, uh, referring to Triple H showing up on Raw and beating the yeah. shit out of the Undertaker. Uh, and he also points out Triple H never gave Jericho a one-on-one rematch after WrestleMania, so why should Triple H be entitled to a one-on-one rematch? Which, to be fair, fair enough, you know. <laughs> it, it, that's what I was saying. <laughs> I, I like, thought it was genuinely heel, pretty reasonable.
2: I thought it was genuinely quite logical, the reasoning that he gave. So I thought it was like, that's not very heelish. You should, you should have, I mean, I mean, it works, because sometimes it's, it's more interesting when the heel has a point. Yeah. But uh, I didn't know if it was going anywhere
1: between them. Vince tells Hogan he'll defend the title the following week against the winner of this evening's main event, Triple H versus Chris Jericho. Great. Grooving. Uh, Incidentally I want to address a little uh, cock up of podcast scheduling here Oh yeah uh, Because originally there was going to be an episode that covered this but I ended up scrapping it So as a result I forgot to mention on the last episode The WWF Championship's been redesigned Oh you fool I know So instead of carrying around the WWF and WCW belt separately One singular undisputed championship has been created It is beautiful It's my favourite belt and I've got a replica of it because I'm a huge fucking Markazoid. That's good so cool, because I go. was
2: going to ask you what made it the Undisputed belt because I thought that was when the WCW got, and WWE charters got merged or something.
1: The theory is because mm. WWF and WCW were the only global promotions operating at the time. Yeah, They were, they were technically the only true world belts. Yeah. So... Once the two belts were merged, there was, for the first time in about 50 years, a singular undisputed world wrestling champion. And that
2: was the one that Jericho won and became yes. the undisputed. Okay, because that was I remember, that's one of his main claims to fame, is I was the first
1: yep. undisputed Beat, champion. Beat Rock and Austin um, yeah. in the same night, became the first yeah. undisputed champion. So since Jericho won the belt, um, which was late the previous year... Yeah. They've just been carrying the two belts around with them and obviously now we have a singular redesigned belt. And yeah. it's really strange that they went to the trouble of doing this now because in about a week's time the company's going to get renamed, so they need to make the belt again with the new <laughs> logo on it.
2: Alright. Which is a little bit odd. Well, I had some thoughts on this segment. Sure. Um, but not many thoughts. I thought the pyro was epilepsy-inducing, but that's kind of normal for, (laughs) yeah, sure. You know, and I I also think that the beautiful people is a really weird choice for a theme song for a wrestling show.
1: It's weird, but I have to admit, I love it.
2: I mean, it rules. It's a great song, but Mm. it's surprising. I don't know if I mean when I think Cole says Sunday marked one of the most historic nights in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. I'm not sure that's quite true.
1: I'm sure that it's not true. To be honest, I mean, I guess Hogan
2: winning the title again. Like how many sure. years after the after the last time? I suppose there is a degree of history there. Yeah, but um, well,
1: to say it's
2: the most historic, yeah, that was weird. One of the most historic, to be fair, I did say one. of sure. still, uh, I, and also not. having Voodoo Child play and Hulkamania, Hulk Hogan walk out is really weird. Like, mm. he needs to be Hollywood <laughs> Hogan. He needs to be in the in the NWO like colors for that
1: to work for me. Um, it's uh, it it is an unusual one. Um, well, I, mean, I a, again, it... I, I I I prefer that over like for this era of Hogan, I like that over Real American. I I think like that fit the '80s Hogan better.
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would have preferred Real American or even a remix of it. it mm. Voodoo Child. Like I hear that, and immediately I'm just like, hail Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> It 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 does suit sort of heal better, I think. Yeah. Like. And know, also, they, they called they called him Hollywood in this, and I thought that was just his NWO
1: like. Um, technically speaking, yeah. he does he does keep that name for a good old while. I don't think he mm. really like the fans wouldn't call him that, and I, no. I think on commentary he'd probably just be described as Hulk Hogan. But I mean, his Hollywood years Hollywood, were Hulk well Hogan.
2: already behind him by this point, I think.
1: Oh yeah, like the 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 whole peak of the original NWO that was that's that that's that's dust in well, I mean, the trail Oh, I mean, he's not sure, getting but... cast in any
2: goddamn movies. Uh, well, so. that's true, yeah. I mean, Muppet, Muppets in Space was the last one that bothered, and I don't know when that was. I mean, he may have been, would, cut, maybe that... he was cast in a movie since then, I just didn't watch him.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it, I think it was one of those where they realised Hulk Hogan's probably only ever going to give you one kind of performance out of a Hollywood movie, and he's yeah, going to be a blockbuster. One. <laughs> brilliant <one. laughs> But I mean, uh, to, th- so, we we've got another wrestler entering Hollywood around this time. We don't need no Hogan.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, they talk about that on this episode as well, don't they? They too, um, yes. But to so to Hogan's credit, even though he is a cunt, <laughs> to Hogan's credit, he looks like he's not just phoning this in. Like he's oh, no. in pretty good shape. He's performing well, I think. Uh, having said that, I will come back to that when we get to the end of the episode. But uh, sure. He he's doing good for this promo, basically. I thought this was a decent promo because most of the length of it is just the insane pop that he gets that goes on and on and on. And oh on. yeah.
1: Well, on on the first episode we did, Hogan had yeah. a, a sustained minutes long pop for, yeah. him, and Hurricane Helms tweeted on on Twitter like the next day after the twentieth anniversary of it, like they ended up having to scrap his match and basically <laughs> rewrite the show. That's on pretty the fly funny. because of how long the segment ran and he was, he was saying like it, it was <laughs> he was saying it was worth every second of it. And it, to be fair, it was because the crowd was so fucking Hogan with this fucking booking control again. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be honest, and I, I think I might have mentioned this previously, this is probably for my money, this is probably Hogan's best period in WWE in terms of like an overall. I sort of think obviously you know in terms of his yeah I was about to say positioning but, uh, on the card the '80s run that's as strong as he's ever going to be. Yeah. But in terms of being an enjoyable, balanced character, this is the most fun run because like the fans love him, but Vince McMahon is also wise to his tricks and isn't just going to give him everything he wants. I mean, so, yeah, I was
2: I was going to say like if you were going to if you didn't qualify that. Mm. I was gonna say, come on, man! Like Hogan slamming Andre for the first time in front of 150 million streaming fans,
1: (laughs) 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 the the 900 in the silver
2: silver dome, (laughs) brother, brother, (laughs) Uh, HH. Yeah, God. Um, I mean, part of me hearing this pop that Hogan gets, uh, knowing what I know, Mm. I get a little bit like. I mean, it's really weird because he did not help keep WCW afloat. Like, he he did Mm, help to pile drive it into the ground. I'm not saying he was responsible, because I put that down to a lot of different factors. But he didn't help with his real, like, aggressive contract and stuff. But then again, then again, Bischoff signed it. So well, sure. What can I say? Absolutely. Um, I guess this, this, this is like a nostalgia tour for him in a
1: way. It it is, and like yeah. the, we we mentioned this last time, like the fans, I think, love the idea of Hulk Hogan. Yeah. But when you come to actually put him in a, <laughs> oh long no, match. now we
2: have to watch Hulk Hogan matches. <laughs> exactly. He yeah, he can't exactly. move. At right. least he's not going to prolong his career even longer by going to C N A or something.
0: <laughs> blub,
1: blub. TNA, what's that!
2: Yeah. I liked, uh, basic thing again, and I say I, I I only highlight this, I'm not going to do this the whole episode, but I just mm-hmm. winch, okay? But I liked that Hogan put over Triple H instead of running yes. him down. Because yep. that's good face work, that's good booking. Like, it's not that hard. You don't. Okay, I am gonna bitch a bit now. <laughs> if you just make your opponent look like a fool, nobody cares if you beat them. Like, Absolutely. Hogan, Promo 101 well, it's Yeah, and they don't get it anymore. <laughs> they
0: don't it's understand like, that. Like if,
1: you if have you, to say, you say, "I hate
2: this guy for these reasons," but yeah. I
1: know that they're a good. They're good. You know. Right. But, if I'm... like the the heel. You know, if mm. if the, if the heel wants to run down the the babyface, that's yeah. okay because they're a dickhead. But yeah, the babyface shouldn't, be yeah. yeah, baby shouldn't be saying, "Yeah, the babyface shouldn't be Oh, 'Oh, you're nothing.' Well, congratulations, mm. you've just beaten nothing. What you've does that make nothing. you? Nothing.
2: Yeah, it's just they don't do it anymore, and it's not that. Like, it's really easy. It's like booking one on one. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I have to say though. Triple H's entrance went on for so long that it actually made Hogan look kind of goofy, because <laughs> he was just standing there for like minutes. And I kind of feel like for these for these TV episodes, they should kind of expediate that, like because mm. this ain't the pay per view. Like I, I mean, do the big entrance to pay per view, but sure. not for these
1: little promos. Like there's no need. We're not uh, we're not quite at the period yet where Triple H has two theme tunes, one for wrestling and one for promos. Oh God. <laughs> what a fucking lad. <laughs> I mean that said I thought it was a
2: pretty decent promo.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, it's 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 tricky because they obviously spent mm. most of this previous month having babyface versus babyface cuz Triple H versus Hogan was not the original plan. Yeah. And then but what was the, the original reaction? plan? Well, it it would appear that it was supposed to be Triple H versus Undertaker, which right. we will sort of circle round to eventually.
2: I find my final note here is that I really, I have to say, I did think that Vince's Triple H impersonation was funny.
1: (laughs) Vince is a funny fucker, though.
2: He can be funny. Yeah, I mean, he has he has the worst sense of humour on the planet, but he can be funny. He's an
1: absolutely insane, crazy person, but he's he's pretty amusing.
2: Yeah. So overall, like, despite the fact that this was really long, Mm. like we are seventeen minutes into the show at this point. Sure. When this ends, and it was really long, but I didn't hate it. A lot of it was, in fact, I thought it was fine. But a lot, but I really, really don't think they should be going seventeen minutes on the opening promos.
1: Well, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but get used to it. I know they
2: never stopped. I know they mm. never will stop. I
1: and what, one, one of the men in this segment is one of mm. the greatest proponents of that. I have to say, over this period, yeah, so. I know.
2: it's going to be Triple H, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it sure is. Bless him. But this one, we, we're 17 minutes in and they're still
1: not going to be wrestling for a little while. No, because we have another little backstage sagaroonie now. We see uh, the WWF Tag Team Champions, Billy and Chuck and oh, Christ, this Rico. Rico's giving Billy a shoulder massage. They're joined by Tajiri and Tori Wilson, uh, the latter of whom the tag champs are disinterested in. Uh, Billy congratulates Tajiri by doing a racist voice at him. <laughs> Riko says that Tori's geisha outfit isn't working for her, saying her forehead is too high, and he offers her a headband. Uh, Tajiri then takes the headband for himself, uh, which is probably for the best, because the kanji on it says Tajiri's fucking name anyway, so, uh, whoops. Yeah. Uh, But also, this kind of makes it look a little bit like he's giving him a kamikaze headband, which is sort of incredibly fucking racist, so... Uh.
2: And they're heels, so it's so oh, fine. We can be
1: yeah, but, they're, but they're all heels and they're being racist. Well, I, 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 I didn't know that. Oh yeah, Tajiri, t- Tajiri's ooh, he's been a bugger. He's not been nice to Tori. Okay, no. well
2: based on wrestling logic mm-hmm. of the era, and this is not yes. me saying this, this is me saying this within this era. Sure. Whoever's not gay is not the heel <laughs> in this match. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are... but By making Billy and Chuck be gay to this gay angle they are positioning them as on heels because the crowd is very homophobic the audience that's, is very homophobic
1: yeah that that's how it was yeah. i mean we that, again we discussed this last time it's not right it wasn't right at the time but no. that's how, that's how, how it we were back but, then yeah. yeah unfortunately that's one of the things of the no we sure didn't um, and again as we've said previously this would not fucking happen today no it would not no. Thank goodness, is all I can say. Even, no. in, even in WWE, I think they would know better.
2: I mean, than I than think today. that the Billy and Chuck are they or aren't they angle is not inherently horrible.
1: No, the way I the think, way they do it is sometimes more subtle than you'd think, looking yeah. back.
2: Like, some of it, I honestly think, is quite funny, but they do double down on the, on the homophobia enough to make yes. it not work. Yes. Because... Yeah, it's not a bad idea. It's just executed very horribly. But then oh, again, yeah. it's executed in a way that back then wouldn't have raised any eyebrows at all, really. Sure. Although I think the Gay and Lesbian Alliance did get quite upset with them. Oh, they got this. very upset with the conclusion yeah. of this storyline. They yeah. were so
1: angry about
2: that. <laughs> I have much to say about this one. I thought that Tajiri looked pretty good. Like, I thought he looked great. That was so fun. I have, to say, I have to say, though, there is one thing I want to note. Mm hmm. 'Cause it's mentioned in the next match, but I want to bring it up now. Okay. Um the implication that the the, the like the, the, the Geisha outfit mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty much just a like kimono pretty much. Yeah. Yes. The the Geisha outfit is inherently like humiliating. Like they're acting like it's a burqa or something. Sure. That's really weird, isn't it? Like it's I've never associated that like, kimono with like being conservative or being. Like, no,
1: they 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 make out like it's Tajiri yeah. forcing Tori to be submissive and listen to you know sort of listening to the man of the house. It's forcing
2: you know. her to dress in a really attractive. Um... Yeah, dress basically. An, an ornamental really, floral dress. I mean, she looks really good. She, yeah, like, she
1: looks great. Yeah, but, it, but it, you know, at the end of the day, if if you are in two thousand and two WWF and you make a lady cover up her cleavage, you are evil.
2: Yeah, it's true. You're
1: gonna you're gonna get the wrath of
2: Beaver Cleavage.
1: <laughs> so uh, up next then we've got tag team action. We've got Al Snow and Maven, the master and the student, taking. Oh, oh sorry, uh, and Billy Kidman. I yeah, I don't think Billy it's,
2: Kidman. God.
1: It's it's trios actually, isn't it? We've got Al Snow, yeah, Maven, curious, and yeah. Billy versus Tajiri and Billy and Chuck with, with Rico Tori and Tori. Oh, they, were, um,
2: they were with Tori on the first the first lot, mm. and then Rico with the second lot. Sorry, probably said that. I was just no, uh, it's yeah.
1: okay. Uh, yeah. Pretty 21, fa-
2: 21 minutes since the episode. We finally have a match.
1: Yeah, pretty standard yeah. kind of tag team affair to begin with. Um, yeah, I like we're, we're still at the point where. They're kind of still moulding the clay with Maven. He's Yeah. He's getting there. You know, he he's not bad to watch in the ring, but you're not gonna put him in has, a high profile match.
2: Has he eliminated Undertaker yet? Yes. Because I was wondering why he got a pop. I'm like, who cares about Maven? Maven was
1: strangely popular, I think. It, yeah. For, for, it, it was yeah, for a very, very white meat baby face. He was But part
2: of me was wondering if it's just because he's not gay, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but true. then I said that's what I thought, but then Al Snow gets no pop whatsoever because he's got big some guy energy. He's just some guy. <laughs> like he comes off as, he does. He comes off as just being a guy who's just there. And that's, it sucks because he fair. used to have
1: a real identity. Al Snow was I I think he's underrated. He's <laughs> it's a weird one because like Al Snow, the guy sometimes has some fairly odd opinions on things. I'll say I, not not like bad. He's not like an awful bigot, to the best of my knowledge. But sometimes he does come out with some rather strange things. But Al Snow, the wrestler, I think probably genuinely a little bit on the underrated side. And as I'd like you to say, when you give him a character, he's really mm-hmm. fun to watch. When he was playing the head, demented it? Al with the head, yeah, brilliant, loads of fun. This one kind of devolves um, after Billy uh, hits the Famouser uh, on Maven, gets a, a tube, but Al breaks the cover. Uh, Tajiri goes for a buzzsaw kick on Maven, but he's distracted by goings-on on the outside. Rico, for some strange reason, decides to lift up Tori's dress. Again. Yeah. Uh, Tori slaps him, so naturally, uh, Tajiri exits the ring to shout at Tori for daring to defend herself. <laughs> um... Bizarre. The match just really breaks down at this point. Uh, everyone fights everyone else. Uh, and then we get this really strange comedy sequence. Uh, Al and Maven rip off Billy and Chuck's trunks and reveal that they're wearing thongs. Yeah. <laughs> because underwear is funny. Yeah, especially
2: uh, when it's slightly... Like, t- two men underwear. in a thong. <laughs>
1: yeah. so, the two men the two champs... thongs, even funnier. Yeah. The tag champs flee. Alan may even bear down on Rico. Tori comes from behind and pants Rico, revealing that he too is wearing a thong.
2: I want to give props to Rico for actually playing up to the bit here. Oh, God, yeah. Because he does, he actually does the hopping up the ramp with his shoes yeah. and his ankles. <laughs> full on bunny hopping up the ramp. Yeah, when Billy and Chuck just ran to the back, but he actually went for it. He doesn't. He doesn't care.
1: Absolutely, he's having he's having a good fucking time performing. Yeah, he gets a, a slap on the ass from Alan Maven as he that goes was hilarious. as well, which was very funny. Yeah, um, back in the ring. <laughs> Uh, Tajiri and Kidman fight, and Tajiri, like a big, dumb motherfucker, tries to powerbomb Billy Kidman. What a stupid son of a bitch. Counted into a facebuster, because you can't powerbomb Billy Kidman. Uh, Kidman scales the turnbuckles, nails the shooting style press, and picks up the win. Though, of course, Tori realises that she may have accidentally cost her boyfriend the match again. Silly.
2: And then Maven and Al put on their trunks for some reason.
1: Yeah, they put on Billy and Chuck's trunks, and be- they they behave like a pair of... Big old non, non-heterosexual yeah. sillies, because it was they, okay to do that in 2003. They around the
2: ring and do gay jokes basically. Yeah, again And the crowd are going, yes! God.
1: <laughs> they make fun of them! <laughs> Mock them! <laughs> a g- gentle bit of a fun match this one. It was some decent comedy in it. I, it I right. again, the the Again, the, the ha-ha they are gay stuff has not aged very mm. well, but it was it was an okay comedy match. It was alright. Yeah. At least I had a finish. Well, that's for sure. Speaking of comedy, backstage, Kurt Angle, he's talking to a member of security and he offers to help the guy because he declares that this this security officer, he's out of shape. And Kurt says the new t-shirt that he'll be unveiling tonight is going to bear all of Kurt's accomplishments, which as a result means the shirt has to be double XL or above for them all to be displayed. So he offers the gent a brand new Kurt Angle shirt at half price. Wow, what I can't. <laughs> I love Kurt Angleman.
2: <laughs> uh, he's great. When he first appeared, he's facing forward and he should never do that. <laughs> he's like a Simpsons character. Yeah, he he's looks only like here the he, he looks like, profile. <laughs> he looks like the he looks like the Son I Am Disappoint meme. Like he's got <laughs> no there's no definition between his shoulders and his neck and his head. It's just he needs to face sideways to look like a human being.
1: <laughs> there's there's a thing in his autobiography where he relates a story where he was at a party and a young lady said that he looked like a thumb.
2: Yeah, it's true. And it's like, since I read
1: that, that's all I can see when he faces front.
2: His autobiography annoys me because it's called cool, It's True, It's True, and it should be called It's True, It's Damn True. It's so close, yeah. Yeah, they got it because they couldn't put down, they should have called it
1: something else for God's sake. It's true, it's fucking true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've got another little backstage segment here. In Mr. McMahon's office, some legs attached to Stacey Keebler are seen. Oh, that's uh, Stacy Keebler. Yeah. Oh, Lo- I didn't lovely know
2: who it was. Stacey. She's absolutely gorgeous.
1: She is astonishingly beautiful, man. She is. Uh, she's she's giving Vince a lovely old scalp massage. What, what what a pro. What a
0: pro. Very
2: nice
1: of her. Very absolutely. good. Absolutely. What, what a wonderful woman. Uh Stacy mm uh auditioned for the role of vince mcmahon's secretary basically is what happened um the if if you have even slightly been on the internet for any period of time you will have seen at least part of the segment the whole like it, it was a big running gag thing like vince had a procession of women to be his pa and obviously the idea is he just wanted someone to sexually harass um and oh, he, is just that thing of him falling off his chair. Yes, that's the one. Oh, okay. So he gets a procession of people who are like, you know, they're very professional and they want to do the job properly. And Vince boots them yeah. out. Out comes Stacy, and she gives him a lap dance, and Vince ah. keels over from, you know, blood loss rushing to his lower and presumably. So obviously, Stacy is now his his PA. But the 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 thing with Stacy is that, despite the fact she looks like a dumb blonde, she's quite good at sort of manipulating people to get what she wants that's kind of her thing so really she's sort of playing Vince to get a bit of a seat of power so to speak yeah but hey, they're both getting something out of it, so why not? <laughs> so uh, in walks a handsome, fresh-faced youth who Vince recognises as Randy Orton, who'll be getting a tryout match tonight. Vince tells Stacy about Randy's father, Cowboy Bob Orton, and his grandfather, Bob Orton Sr., both of whom are former wrestlers. Uh, Vince then briefly leaves the room to attend to something, and then Stacy compliments Randy on his big hands. And offers to critique his body to the delight of the women in the audience. Uh, so off comes Orton's shirt. Uh, Stacy tells Orton to try a wrestling hold uh, involving uh, putting his hand on her hip. Like she's giving him pointers. <laughs> uh, so Vince yeah. comes back into the office, sees Orton half naked with his hands on Stacy, And then she just immediately flips the switch and she like, pretends to be like... Offended, like making out that Orton started stripping and touching her up the instant that Vince left. So Vince, oh my god! <laughs> Vince loses his shit and tells Orton that his tryout match is going to be against hardcore Holly and sends him out of the room. Oh no, he's going to get stiff to fuck. Stiff to absolute buggery. <laughs> I have to say, I don't think they intended it at the time, but you know, if you're a big believer in following WWE canon, the revenge on this will be the slowest of burns, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you worry, Randy will get his own back for this fucker.
2: My God. I mean, um it goes without saying that this illustrates quite handily why we must not trust the Me Too hashtag.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that's that's not, pretty
2: obviously it, a fucking joke. That, that's not end. genuine. It's the kind of thing that's a little bit off to watch now. Yes. Uh, for that reason, but in the context when no one was thinking about this stuff, it mm. reads more as, oh, how wily, how, you know... Sure. It, it, re- it reads less offensive, basically, than it actually is.
1: St- like, Stacey is, as, as we've said, she's gorgeous, but I mm. like she is probably, of all of the current women at this time, I think it's fair to say she's probably the most sexualized possibly even more than Trish there was at wrestlemania this year wrestlemania 18 yeah when they did the fan access event there was a statue sculpted from a mold of stacy Keebler's ass nice and you could go up to it and take a photo of yourself with your hand on stacy's ass nice and that's can you fucking imagine if they did that today I'm trying to be fine. I'm sure, <laughs> sure there'll be no repercussions whatsoever.
2: I just like the idea of a statue of an ass. That makes me really happy.
1: <laughs> That's doesn't even matter whose it, it I, is. I don't even think. I could be wrong. I don't even think it was a full body thing. I think it was just her, like her ass and part of her legs.
2: That's amazing. It's crazy. I'm looking this up. What an I have insane to see company. It. I have to see this. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm going to ruin Stacey your search history. Keebler ass statue. <laughs> i oh, no, I better write ass because then Americans don't know how to spell.
1: <laughs>
2: this is important to me. Uh, okay, a here we life go. stew reaction. Oh sweet Jesus! This is exactly... <laughs> it's worse than I expected. Yeah, it's like all her. It's like her legs plus her her ass. Yeah.
1: But then, like the beauty of it was, there was there was footage from the fan access and Stacey's Like, oh look, it's a statue of my butt. Mm. <laughs> like it's the most normal thing in the world. I mean it, it was a different time.
2: If it deterred one groper from groping her in real life, then it's Well better. fair. Yeah, I guess that's Now fair. all we need is to create statues of every woman's ass and legs. <laughs> and then there'll be nothing to fear from any gropers ever again.
1: The wrestling industry will be saved. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, let's move on. Yes, <laughs> let's Uh, Backstage elsewhere Three backstage segments in a row Christian Is about to organise a bet Now for the last few episodes He's been challenging Mark Henry To prove his strength with various feats And Test has been a right old bastard To him each time Mm. Test rules This time Mark Henry Is uh, charged with bending A steel frying pan with his bare hands uh, the assembled superstars bet on the outcome, despite Farouk's suggestion that he probably shouldn't get involved based on what's happened the last few times, i.e. getting injured. Uh, Henry manages to bend the pan to everyone's shock, and then Test challenges Henry to bend a steel rod around the back of his neck. Now, Henry isn't so stupid that he can't spot a pattern, and tells Tess that if he's going to take a challenge from him again, it'd better be double or nothing. So, Henry puts on the weightlifting belt... Readies the rod, and sure enough, bends it using his hands alone. And then Christian, furious to be out of pocket, just wallops him with the frying pan. Womp womp! What an idiot! I mean, I wasn't. I mean, testing Christian wasn't the pairing
2: I was expecting. I didn't realize that they were already split up.
1: Oh, Ed, Ed, you, you I mean. Christian? Sure, yeah, they've been split up probably about a year or so now.
2: That's crazy. I honestly didn't realize it was this. Uh, this that they already been split
1: up. yeah, they they're kind of work in edge higher and higher up the card at this stage. Yeah. Um Christian was one of the he was he was a member of the alliance during the invasion storyline Edge was on Team WWF. So they split them and kept them apart during that, but yeah they they've had a whole whole on again off again feud as well the pair of them. Yeah.
2: I mean I I feel like Christian Introducing weapons into the situation and then assaulting Mark Henry—it <laughs> feels unwise. Feels unwise, like not a well-advised move. I,
1: f- I, feel like even Tess, at six foot six and three hundred and odd pounds of muscle, or however, however big and yeah. bulky he is, probably shouldn't be doing this to Mark Henry. Tess
2: hit. Test should hit him so hard that he goes back to OVW. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I I love Test, man. I I I, I don't I think, like Test, I think he's great. I don't think I've stated my opinion on Test on this podcast before, but he's actually probably one of my favorite big men ever. And he got he got a lot of shit at this time. His music's awesome as well. His music's also. fucking incredible. It's one of the best entrance themes yeah. ever, dude. But like Test, Test was kind of a favorite to be hated on at the time because he. Like, don't get me wrong. I I love a technical wrestling match, but sometimes if I'm watching wrestling, I just want to watch a big bastard kick the fuck out of someone. And every move that Tess does looks like he's murdering a guy, and it's so cathartic to watch. And it's nice that there's been in recent years there's been kind of a swing in people going back and sort of watching Test. And go, you know, what? actually, he was pretty good for a big guy. He you know he does that style yeah. very well. I I don't. You're never going to see. Headlocks and hammerlocks in a test match But honestly, I don't fucking want that I want him to knee a guy so hard in the sternum That he doubles over, you know
2: Yeah, I just want to watch him kill a man out there in the <laughs> Also, him he pieces.
1: is He is the best person to ever do a big boot Quite frankly, Hulk Hogan, fuck it off <laughs> So then We have our first singles match of the evening We have Hardcore Holly Taking on the debuting Rocky Orton In his blue and yellow yeah, uh, f- um, fairly basic sort of action. This one. Really. Well,
2: it's, Holly doesn't yeah. know that wrestling is fake, so he just <laughs> it. clearly, he is very clearly stiffing him at points. And I, oh, I, oh yeah. I, well, I read Holly's autobiography, where he comes across as okay, mm. but he he comes across as also very much like. Yeah, it's it's you need to learn the ropes. It's like you need to learn your place. So if you're young and you're in the ring with me, I'm going to beat the shit out of you.
1: Yeah, he's like, very much got kind of that real... old school mentality.
2: Yeah, and it's a little bit like, oh come on,
1: Hardcore Holly, don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Yeah, Holly is Holly is laying it into him. Um, in like you say a lot in this match. You know, there's some really hard shots. There's the, there's the yeah. old hand grenade punches on the ropes, which look brutal. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, messed up it is, is to say this, this is probably one of Holly's gentler matches against a debuting star. Hmm. There are some yeah. later on, in particular, where he is absolutely evil to them. But anyway, yeah, hardcore Holly... Bit of a bastard in the ring. Uh, it's it, Like I say, it's, it, this feels fairly basic. It feels like it was designed to get Orton used to TV audiences. He's done a couple of dark matches at this point, mm. but you know, obviously the cameras are on now, and he's sort of got to get the positioning down. He, before the end of the year, he's going to be a pretty major character, so they're, yeah. they're kind of getting him used to that. It's, it's, it's an alright sort of match. Uh, ends with um, Harley going to climb the turnbuckle... Obviously going for the, the beautiful Hardcore Holly dropkick. Um, or- Orton gets a a, a two-count off a fairly good dropkick uh, of his own at one point. Yeah, it
2: was um, a decent dropkick, I thought.
1: But uh, Randy shoves Holly off the turnbuckle, hits a diving crossbody. Holly rolls through, catches a two-count. Randy trips Holly with a drop toe hold, rolls him up with the Oklahoma roll, and picks up the upset win. I, I do like how uh, either they haven't given Orton a finisher... Or Holly just decided I am not taking your finish, <laughs> so you just get to roll up. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not letting you kick me in the in the head. Now listen here, kid. I'm gonna hand grenade punch you in the chest like ten times, and then you're gonna win with a roll up. Mm. So yeah, what do you what do you think to this one? Just any, I mean, it, it's one? not long enough
2: to really rate. No. You know, it's fine. It, I yeah. think it does a fine job of getting Randy or the, the the fluke win. Sure. Uh. Holly's stiffness actually improves the match in a way because it makes mm. the drama feel more intense. But I hate saying that because he shouldn't be doing it. Yes. Uh, but he not, is... Not like, a, not a mean, big fan of
1: paying the, you through physical violence, Me, I don't like that. Well, the slaps
2: are fine. like They are sure. a wrestling move, I think. Sure. It's sure, like sure. the chops. I have no problem with the slaps. It's when he's doing... When he's supposed to be doing fake face punches and he's really clearly driving more into mm. them. Or when he's uh, there's something he does early on. I've actually forgotten what it is, but like the first move he does is just really blatantly stiff. Yeah, um, I'm not crazy about that. I think there's a degree to which you can excuse some measure of stiffness in wrestling because it's every you're, you're gonna overshoot sometimes. That's just sure, how of course. It is. But when you set, when you go into the ring and you're thinking. I'm going to hurt this guy. Like, you're not wrestling. The whole point of wrestling is that you're not supposed to to look like you're hurting them.
1: I appreciate appreciate when you have a selection of new talent. I appreciate trainers will sometimes work them beyond exhaustion because they want to weed out the ones who aren't serious. I get that. But when this guy's made his way to TV... And they're clearly making a big deal of him by having him. You know, his first segment, he's there with Vince McMahon. Yeah, They've mentioned Hull, yeah. mentioned he's a he's a third generation WWE superstar. This is going to be a big deal wrestler. I, yeah. me personally, I wouldn't watch that and then think, hmm, better go out there and stiff the fuck out of him. Well, I I'd, I'd maybe, be, I'd be taking care with him, honestly.
2: I wonder if maybe the reason why he didn't go too hard on him is because Vince had said, "Don't stiff the fuck out of him." Yeah,
1: one. quite possibly.
2: Maybe, I don't know.
1: And hey, I'm in. Mean, here we are, 20 years later, it's paid off. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Randy Orton, uh, future Hall of Famer, Bob Holly, maybe not. Yeah. I
2: don't know, they'll, they'll need some slots filled in. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he might be back. They'll
1: run out of main eventers eventually. Yeah. Uh, backstage, Kurt Angle peeks under a canvas, and he's pleased with the t-shirt design beneath it. Uh, He has a little conversation with a WWF photographer Saying the shirt has to look perfect in the shots Edge, cheeky little Canadian that he is Sneaks in the back of the shot like a cartoon character Winks at the TV camera camera, And then heads out the other side of the screen Kurt carries on talking Edge sneaks back out Pauses to smile at the camera again Then leaves, but he's carrying something with him What could it be? Hmm Whatever uh, it is,
2: it totally reeks of awesome.
1: It does. Well, we don't have to wait too long to find out because after the ad break, Kurt makes his way to the ring where the canvas is set up, awaiting the grand unveiling of his t-shirt design underneath it. Uh, Kurt gets on the mic and ignores the dueling "you suck" and "what" chant to tell the audience they are poor and smelly. And Peoria sounds like a UTI. He's right. Then, it does. It does a little bit. Kurt they should then, have said. They should chant if he's right. It does. <laughs> Kurt then acknowledges how very fat the fans are, telling them that it is to their advantage in light of his shirt, which is available only in double XL or larger, uh-huh. so his accomplishments can be visible on them. His accomplishments that he then humbly lists like a very gracious man that he is. Uh, to round things off, Kurt reminds the fans they are fat and have bad skin, and also they are pathetic, but that's okay, because his t-shirt will make them feel like winners. Uh, So before he can pull the canvas off the shirt and reveal it, Edge makes his way to the ring. Kurt wants to know what Edge is doing, and reminds him he beat him at Backlash the last week. Uh, Edge tells him despite their differences they did have a hell of a match at Backlash, and he wants to congratulate him, and that he's happy for him, and he says he wants to see the new shirt. So Kurt's sceptical, but he acknowledges Edge's point, and thinks Edge has come round, and shakes his hand. So then the photographers are invited into the ring, and we get a... It could not be more perfect. We get a drum roll. Yeah. Kurt, the canvas is pulled off the shirt and reveals a shirt which says in massive capital letters, YOU SUCK. Uh, as soon as he spots the shirt, Kurt realises he's been tricked and demands to know who's responsible like it could be anyone else. Edge leads the fans in chanting, YOU SUCK, and fucks it out of the ring. Good stuff. Well, when this segment started... Mm-hmm. As soon
2: as I saw the canvas, I just was like, "That's probably <laughs> going to say you suck or something." Yeah. <laughs> but like, and then it did. You know, I was right. Yeah. But like, the shirt, technically, if you're wearing it, what it mm. actually says is "You suck." Like, you suck. You, Not the person wearing it. it. Yeah. So it's actually a pretty good shirt. It opinion. is a good shirt. I
1: I had and still own and can see from where I'm sitting the baseball cap variant. <laughs> So I, I I can wonder about wearing a hat that tells everyone who lays eyes on me that they indeed suck. So the the power and strength that it gives you. I
2: okay. mean I, I thought this segment was fine. It was yeah. obvious what the joke was gonna be from the beginning, sure. but Kurt sold it well enough. I enjoyed the fact that he didn't see it for ages after it had been yeah. revealed.
1: <laughs> like that's something I always really like about Kurt's mm. heel work when he's when someone gets something over him and the fans cheer, Kurt will think the fans are cheering him because he's so self-obsessed. Yeah. He's great. I love Kurt Angleman. He is the best. Up next, then, we get a little quickie match. It's Mark Henry versus Christian.
2: There was first a promo package from Raw that I wanted to mention something from. to make me Oh, laugh. I didn't
1: have this on, on my thing. I oh, well, was, there is one. It's
2: about the take a feud oh right right uh basically there's a bit where they're where triple h is punching taker mm-hmm. and they've overlaid it with punching sounds it's hilarious oh god that's great it's really funny also taker with his shirt off in jeans is really weird well it's i know he was biker look. taker still <laughs> i know he was still biker look. taker but it's still weird yeah. anyway that's all i
1: way to say about it Sorry. <laughs> so next we have mark henry versus christian uh, Taz on commentary says Mark Henry can lift more buildings in a single bound. What the fuck are you talking about, Taz? Yeah, good old Taz commentary. I lo- I love Taz. It's I'm Taz. Insane. It's Taz. He's fucking insane. I love, I love him I love so him. much, man. He's
2: great on AEW as well. With his, he commentary. is. I, do you know yeah.
1: honestly? I it, I could listen to his voice all day. He's got a, mm. it's the accent and his delivery. He's just got a, a fun voice to listen to. Have
2: you seen the um, clip? From I think it was dark, where a negative one, uh, Brady Lee's son tells Excalibur to be quiet.
1: Be quiet, Excalibur! Yeah, Taz just And Taz and is actually there. creasing. I He's love that delighted. so much. I love that so much. <laughs> it's great, man. So Christian tries to outspeed Mark Henry to begin with, but Henry's strength overpowers him pretty much immediately. Uh, Henry chucks Christian to the top rope and then back into the ring the same way. Yeah. Uh, Massive headbutt from Henry to the pro and Christian gets him a two count. Henry gets Christian in the claw hold. Christian shoves the ref out of the way to give Henry a low blow, which allows him to get a little bit of momentum back. Uh, he goes for the unprettier, but there is absolutely no way he can do it to Henry, who clutches him in a big old bear hug and forces the submission. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the entire match, really.
2: <laughs> well, this is bef- this is you know Mark Henry's. I think. I think he's actually back from OVW now. Or did they yes. send him away after this? I forget. He,
1: he's he's back He's back full time now. But it's still... Because
2: I honestly think he's working okay now. He's um, got a
1: way to go before he's really entertaining. Yeah, we're not he's...
2: talking a whole of pain to him here. But he is alright. Oh, right. yeah.
1: Backstage, Mark Lloyd tries to get Chris Jericho's response to the situation he now finds himself in. Jericho praises Vince McMahon's decision-making skills, and he assures victory, (laughs) saying he'll be the one defending the WWF title against Undertaker at Judgment Day. I thought this was an
2: oddly subdued promo from him, to be honest. Mm. Not bad, just a bit fine, you know.
1: Yeah, It pretty much there as a buffer so they can clear the ring and get the next match ready. I mm. guess because obviously you do you do want something to happen between matches if you're not going to add break. Well, they else. have
2: to reinforce the ring for Albert. And giant, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> to my precious giant Bernard.
1: Ah, uh, good old Albert. Mm. Yes, we've got more tag team action now as Rikishi teams up with Edge to take on Albert and Kurt Angle.
2: I saw that and uh, I was like, Rikishi, he's still around, is he?
1: Yeah, Rikishi's around for another couple of years as well at this point. I was
2: surprised too because he's over his shit. Oh god yeah, he's well popular.
1: So Michael Cole mentions that The Rock will be appearing on David Letterman's show the following night. Which is interesting because quite clearly the WWF have not yet come to terms with the fact that their homegrown talent has outgrown them. Yeah. Because David Letterman at this point much bigger deal than wrestling in 2002 unfortunately, gotta be said.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it it's it's so weird watching the early days of you know the Rock in in the Mummy Returns and the Scorpion King and it's it's yeah. really obvious looking back this guy is going to be a big deal and they don't seem to realize that. They don't know that he's not going to be around for much longer.
2: No, no.
1: We get a big brawl to start things off the the rivals pair off uh, Albert with Rikishi and Edge with Kurt. Edge gets a little display of his quickness against Kurt, but Kurt shuts him down with a big old belly-to-belly. Belly. Albert tags in starts clubbing the dog fuck out of Edge. Uh, impressive chicken wing suplex for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a bit where uh, Edge Ed shoves Albert into Kurt and then hits Albert with a spear and then Kurt dives into the ring to break up the pin at two. Pretty cool stuff there. Uh, Kurt knocks Rakesh off the apron attempts an angle slam. Uh, but Edge gets free, hits Kurt with the face crusher. Rikishi and Albert tag in, Rikishi is absolutely on fire, power slams the shit out of Albert, throws Kurt into and nails them with a big old butt bop. <laughs> Rikishi clothesline Kurt, gives Albert a Samoan drop, and sits on his chest, but Kurt again breaks the counter but two. Rikishi charges Albert in the corner. Albert flops to the floor, which of course sets him up for the stink face. Uh available now in new DLC for WWE two K22. <laughs> Uh, Kurt hits the ring, gives Rikishi an angle slam, stands up into a spear from Edge. Albert beals Edge out of the ring and eats a big old thrust kick from Rikishi. Uh, Rikishi goes for the banzai drop. Kurt distracts him long enough for a bicycle kick-baldo-bomb combo from Albert, which gives the heels the win. Uh, After the match, Edge continues to beat up Kurt ringside, but Albert puts a stop to that and throws Edge into the ring. As Albert holds Edge in place from behind, Kurt brings a chair into the ring but Edge kicks it into Kurt's face gives Albert a low blow comes swinging with the chair and the heels retreat mm. the goodies win the day hooray but they're still mm. lost
2: and Albert gets the pin as, as he should
1: yeah because he's great Yeah, kind of a this is interesting because they are in the middle of building up Albert so obviously they don't want to like, they're clearly going towards Albert versus Rikishi here but they don't want to give that away just yet, so they throw an edge and curtain to do the, yeah. the exciting bits of the match, so to speak, while the other two just club the shit out one another. Which, again, I yeah. am okay with.
2: Yeah, but Albert gets the goddamn win because he should do. He's cool. Giant uh, Bernard, I love him.
1: But never mind all that, ladies and gentlemen. Devon Dudley has undergone a transformation. Upset at the breakup of the Dudley Boys, Devon was told by Mister McMahon to go and find himself. And as a result, he's had a spiritual reinvention as the preacher Reverend Devon. Uh, And he appears in this little segment now where he walks through the crowd with a collection plate to collect money for Mr. McMahon's building fund. Uh, That is until a fan swipes the collection plate and runs away. Devon gives chase. uh, The fan collides with a security barricade and the money spills everywhere. Devon, as all true men of religion must beats the absolute tar out of the fan, throws him through a propped-up piece of wood leaning against the barricade for some reason, yeah. and then he tells the fans that this should be a lesson, calls himself Divine Intervention, and tells the fan, Thou shalt not steal.
2: It would have been funny if, after throwing it through the pointless, inexplicable wood, <laughs> another wrestler would come out and go, Oh no, my wood!
1: <laughs> I was leaving that there for safekeeping!
2: My wood, I, I can't believe it. You used my wood in one of your wrestling tricks?
1: <laughs> Who would have thought that putting D. Dudliness Dudley near some propped up wood would result in someone going through <laughs> that wood? Completely unforeseen circumstances. I think
2: this, uh, I thought this segment didn't really work, because, like, I mean, I guess the idea is that he's meant to be a heel. Yes. Because he's A, religious, and B, going really hard on this one guy. yeah. But, like, he stole, he stole money from the church collection plate. <laughs> so, like, I mean, that's really bad. So isn't it right yeah. that he have the absolute pace to beat that out of him?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to... <laughs> it's difficult to sympathise with people that steal from... There's a song away. You stole but... money from the church collection plate. <laughs> I love that so much, man. I love it so much. Fucking hell. I, yeah, it it is a strange one. I mean, like you say, obviously, Devon is the heel because religion in Mm -hmm. wrestling perish the thought. Mm -hmm. I think it's really funny, like, Bruce Pritchard mentioned on his podcast, like, Vince McMahon was like, you know, give give him pointers on how to deliver his promos because obviously, Pritchard used to be Brother Love, who was kind of a heel preacher kind of character. But, like, apparently, Devon's father is a preacher. It's like, shouldn't you already know how this works then? (laughs) Weird backstage once more Kurt angle finds the security guard from earlier leaning over a drinking fountain Kurt demands the guard's assistance in locating edge spins him around and sees the guard is wearing a nice new double XL you suck shirt Kurt curses edge and storms off doesn't he actually say like something
2: like curse edge <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally that yeah. <Cursed> edge <laughs> Curse Damn that edge. You. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Curses foiled again. I honestly think he says curse that edge. <laughs> like, what's <laughs> a ridiculous a geek, thing to say? I love him. I, um, yeah, I like this. I thought it was a funny little gag. The, the same guy from before that he's now got
1: the U Suck shirt. It, it, was a, it was a good little callback. Yeah. So, then we have, ladies and gentlemen, the main event of the evening. The WWF Championship number one contendership is on the line as Chris Jericho clashes with H. Oof. Yeah. Uh, So, fairly kind of standard heel coward work from Jericho to uh, start this one off. Just doing his damnedest to avoid getting a beating. Triple H works the arm, but keeps getting cut off by Jericho. Uh... We get fairly early on into this. Triple H is he's cut somehow. Don't, not quite sure what happened there. Uh, Jericho catches Triple H in a sleeper hold and the, the blood just pours from this cut on Triple H's head.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Triple H breaks the hold, attempts a sleeper of his own, but Jericho gets free. Both men end up dizzying one another and flop over and... Oh, Oh, you'll not believe what happens next. Triple H stumbles headfirst into Jericho's bollocks. Oh, God almighty, kill me now. Uh, As the match is going on, Undertaker makes his way into Vince's office. I mean, me personally, I love when they have a match and they cut away to a fucking segment during it because that really makes you think that the match is important and worth paying attention to.
2: Especially when it's the main
1: event. Yes, yeah, especially when it's the main event for the, you know, with with championship implications, with two of your biggest names, whatever, guys, whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, things things kind of pick up again a little bit. Triple H gives Jericho a fucking astonishing spinebuster for a two count. Uh, just some good back and forth. Generally, I it's,
2: I enjoyed it. I thought it was a decent match. Personally. Yeah, yeah. There's
1: there's a cool sequence where Jericho attempts a dropkick. Triple H catches him, flings him with a slingshot towards the turnbuckle. Yeah. Jericho lands on it, then leaps off and <laughs> lands into a pedigree which Jericho then switches into a backslide. Just, just constant counters and reversals. Really, really cool stuff.
2: Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, What I thought was interesting is this is um, I believe the third time in this episode where they've teased a chair shot and not had a chair shot. Mm. And that makes me wonder whether or not they are still able to do chair shots. Or if they've already said we not doing chair shots though.
1: they are and they aren't it's weird right. on smackdown um whenever they i think it depends on the network that it's broadcast on as well yes um whenever they hit a chair shot on certainly on the uk broadcast of smackdown they would cut away to a crowd reaction like the chair would be a fraction from somebody's face yeah, and then over the crowd reaction, you'd hear a loud metallic crack. Yeah, so there was no question of what happened, but they weren't allowed to show it. So it's it could just be a network thing, honestly. Like they probably even have to sort of be a bit more restrained, uh, even on, on the American networks. I guess would be the only sort of thing I can imagine. Because yeah, you're quite right. Um, Jericho, there's a point where Jericho thinks he's won the match because. He thinks he's got Triple H to tap out, but actually Triple H got to the ropes. Yeah. So Jericho grabs two chairs from ringside, but he conceals one of them from the ref. So the ref goes to get rid of the first one. Jericho swings the other high in the air. Triple H stops him with a kick to the gut and gives him a DDT, then shoves the other chair out of the ring. So obviously, like you'd think, turnabout being fair play, you close that little sequence off with Triple H nailing him with the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Triple H, anyway, pins him, gets a two count... Uh, then a fairly late match punch trading sequence which ends with Triple H hitting the pedigree. Triple H about to get the win here. Undertaker arrives at ringside. Triple H like a fucking imbecile attacks Undertaker gets rolled up from behind by Jericho who uses Triple H's trunks for extra leverage and picks up the win.
2: I like Jericho a lot.
1: I like Jericho. He's it's difficult goat, not to.
2: Goat, uh, I love him. He is
1: very good. After the match, Jericho and Undertaker gang up on Tripper and beat him silly. Undertaker gives Triple H a choke slam. Jericho puts Triple H back in the walls and trips taps out, but to no avail. Undertaker brings the chair into the ring, tells Jericho to let go of Triple H. Jericho obliges, but before Undertaker can use the chair, Hogan hits the ring to make the save, clotheslining Undertaker at the ring, and Jericho flees like a little coward baby man.
2: Hogan in slow motion, you mean? Yeah,
1: little Hollywood Hulk slogan. Slow Hogan. Slow Mogan. Yeah. Slow uh, hey, that's good. That's going on the shirt. Hogan knocks Undertaker over the barricade, chases him out of the arena through the crowd, and Jericho celebrates atop the ramp because when all is said and done, next week he will be challenging for the WWE Championship. Pretty pretty good match. I mean of course it is I mean too, I wish too, I too been, great.
2: I wish it hadn't been a distraction finish, you know.
1: Yeah. I I think this like this is playing into a larger thing of Undertaker kind of scheming because yeah. at Backlash he ensured like he Undertaker kind of was a little underhanded in how he beat Austin, but that was sort of Austin's own doing in a way. But then once he determined he would be the next number one contender, Hogan uh, Undertaker made it so Hogan would be the one holding the belt because obviously Hogan yeah. he thinks is the easier challenge than Triple H, and now again. Undertaker is uh, the the idea is that you know Jericho is going to be a an easier sort of threat than Hogan is. Yeah, yeah. So, and obviously he doesn't want Triple H anywhere near that main event either. So, yeah, agreed. So it's all kind of scheming on the part of so basically, uh, the dead man. Hogan
2: can't wrestle, and he also can't really run around anymore. Yeah, he he's not he's not too fast game. on his pins. Yeah. yeah.
1: None too fast. Like th- this uh, nostalgia tour, as we said, it, this is actually kind of short-lived. We are already coming up on the end of it because, as you say, they they have realised pretty well quickly. Hogan can't keep up with the younger guys, and I mean, like even at this point, I say younger guys in wrestling terms. Undertaker is middle-aged at this point, you know. Yeah, yeah. So even even struggling to keep up with Taker, just chasing him off. It's not a great look for Hogan. Like you say, it was going nice and there were some cool spots in it. And then, as you say, distraction finish. Yeah. A, a, a SmackDown main event of a finish, if you will. Yeah, though, yeah,
2: as you've said, I believe that they don't do it as often as they do nowadays, where it's once per, like, week. Distraction finish. Oh, yeah,
1: it's constantly, yeah. But then again, mm-hmm. I mean, back in the Attitude era, obviously it was not uncommon for it to be. Most matches on the card back when Vince Russo was writing it in the old car crash TV days, mm-hmm. and then even a couple of times on pay per view. Like generally speaking, it was it was an unwritten rule if you're going to have like distraction finishes or DQ finishes on a pay per view, you just have one. You yeah. don't have multiple, which was not unheard of at the time. But it's a lesson they still kind of have to learn, even around this period, unfortunately. <laughs> but Stu, yes. That was SmackDown.
2: It was fine. It was alright. <laughs> um, I don't think it was a particularly great episode.
1: It was. It, it was alright. Yeah. I. It, it. was. It was fun looking back in two thousand twenty-two, like rewatching this. Like, oh my god, that's Randy Orton. He's tiny. He's like. He's. He's a small little baby man with no tattoos. That's yeah. kind of fun. But there's not much. I, the, the Kurt Angle and Edge stuff is funny. i got to say, though, there wasn't really anything on the show that made me think, God, this was awful.
2: No, I mean, I'm not... Unlike you, I don't love the racism.
1: Um... <laughs> Do you know, somehow I knew you were going to turn that back on Yeah, sorry, I, I had to. No, I should obviously qualify. The racism, I, yeah, the sexism, the homophobia... Obviously, yeah. that is bad. But in that terms of bad. the actual wrestling content, there was nothing here that no. made me go, fucking hell. The, I think that. the only
2: thing I didn't. Sorry, the only thing other than what we've already mentioned that really bothered me was the watch chance by the crowd.
1: Yeah, which because unfortunately. Why don't
2: even they get bored of it? Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: But unfortunately, they are here to stay, regrettably. Yep. So uh, we got to yep. get used to them, buggers. Mm hmm. But on the whole. Like you say, it was it was it was an all right episode. It was yeah. Fine. The main
2: event was the match of the night, easy I thought. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I, th- I mean, I, it bruised by compared to like oh god, yeah, the modern stuff. I would say
1: there, there was never a point at which I was not sports entertained. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and really, what more can any wrestling fan ask for? Well, fifty quid cash in hand would be nice, but that was never going to be an option.
2: I got
0: um,
1: a
2: really quick question hand.
1: Just oh, now. sweet! Nice. Right,
0: so <laughs> sweet. to some of us.
1: <laughs> Stu, why don't you yes. tell these lovely ladies and gentlemen listening to us where they can find you and the things what you do online?
2: Um, you can find me on Twitter as stupacabra. Um, you can listen to me and read my articles on retronauts.com. You can listen to my podcast and a mini chat with with dear dear Luke Fletcher here.
1: I've heard of it, where
2: we talk about animaniacs and the the twist is that I <laughs> hate animaniacs, but that's sort <laughs> of evolved a bit now. So mm. watch, listen to it, and I'm winning him it.
1: over. I'm winning him over, and again. you'll see. He's um, going to come out a bit a bigger fan than I
2: am at this rate. There are also, um, uh, the Dill cast with Gubbala, mm. Tula and Grizz, where we talk about every single Dillber comic ever, but mostly it's just us sticking around. <laughs> uh, a very fun. Which is fun to do And all other projects You can find on uh, On on Twitter At like my web my webcomic Hell, Etc yes. Well that's on hiatus at the moment So I don't really want to provide it
1: Well I, I mean it's on hiatus But that gives people the perfect time to go through and read it all That's true merryhellcomic.com It's good, we like it
2: it is good, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah.
1: Right then, ladies and gentlemen, I will see you on the other side of the ad break and I will see Stu, uh, well, probably very soon because we're on Discord and I'll we'll see him in like 20 seconds after <laughs> record. records. All right. But it, it's been lovely chatting the shit with you about good old wrestling, man. Yeah, it's been fun and we'll have to have you back on. Yay,
2: okay, let's do it.
1: So thank you once again ever so much for coming on, Matt. It's been lovely having you here, and we will see you again with any luck. And, uh, yeah, I'll see the rest of you in about a couple of minutes' time. Bye. Goodbye,
2: Goodbye listeners. Started in 2015, the Bark Oddcast was started by three mates looking to watch and critique every WrestleMania in order. As Andy, Ian and Lewis explore the
1: history of marquee WWE pay-per-views, they also have to navigate the problematic business practices of one Vince McMahon. And as a result, they now watch and review pay-per-views from other promotions. So join us as we desperately cling on to any semblance of love for professional wrestling on the wonderfully intermittent wrestling podcast, The Bar Godcast. Before we take a dive into our mailbag, it's time first for our regular profile segment. And this time, we'll be looking at one of the main event wrestlers from today's episode. He's a multiple-time world champion, and once you see him in action, your life will never, ever be the same again. It's Chris Jericho. Born on November 9, 1970, Christopher Keith Irvine is the son of former NHL player Ted Irvine, a left winger with a career spanning 15 years. If young Chris ever dabbled with following his father into ice hockey, however, the dream didn't last as his interest soon became the world of professional wrestling, as he would attend events held in his hometown of Winnipeg by the American Wrestling Association. The legendary Stu Hart's promotion, Stampede Wrestling, was the cause of Chris deciding to become a wrestler when he first saw Stu's son Owen in action on television. Further inspiration came from Owen's brother Bret Hart, Ricky Steamboat, and Shawn Michaels, all of whom individuals that clearly influenced Jericho's in-ring style. At 19, Chris enrolled in the Hart Brothers School of Wrestling, where he would meet fellow Canadian wrestler and future WWF talent Lance Storm on his first day of training. Initially, Jericho intended to pick the ring name Jack Action, until being told the name was stupid, and he instead blurted out the name Chris Jericho. The rest, as they say, is history. Jericho's two great passions in life were wrestling and rock and roll. Taking the Jericho name from a music album, Rock and Roll would come to be the defining characteristic of Jericho's in-ring persona for most of his run, with his look, entrance music and attitude being clearly inspired by high-profile rockers, to say nothing of the formation of his own rock and roll band Fozzy at the turn of the millennium, allowing Jericho to live not one, but two lifelong dreams. After completing his training, Jericho would spend the next several years touring the world of wrestling, learning and honing his craft. It wasn't uncommon for wrestlers in the early 1990s to work around the world to put together a style using parts of what worked abroad. Between 1991 and 1996, Jericho worked in Japan for Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling and Wrestling and Romance War, in Mexico for Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre, and Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling in America. In Mexico, Jericho eventually picked up the name Corazon de Leon, the English translation of this, Lionheart, later becoming one of his nicknames in America, too. Jericho is perhaps best known to American fans of this period for his team with Storm, particularly in SMW, where they were known as the Thrill Seekers. As a matter of fact, the team were considered so good that when the WWE began the slow process of uploading SMW episodes to the WWE Network, They usually prioritised episodes which featured the thrill-seekers. Come 1996, Jericho had reached the attention of Paul Heyman, owner and promoter of Extreme Championship Wrestling. Jericho had also captured the attention of top wrestling talent Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, and future WWF champion and Attitude Era headliner Mick Foley. As a result, Heyman brought Jericho in to work for ECW. His stint in the company was short, lasting only around half a year, but he worked with a laundry list of ECW's top names, including Foley, Taz, Shane Douglas, Sabu, and Rob Van Dam. Along the way, Jericho picked up the ECW World Television Championship. This short but sweet run caught the attention of the higher-ups of World Championship Wrestling. Jericho was brought into WCW in August of 1996, right after his final appearance in ECW. Jericho spent the early part of his run in the company as a babyface, coming up against NWO talent in various formations. But it would be in pursuit of the Cruiserweight Championship that Jericho began to really hit his stride. Whereas the World Wrestling Federation famously focused on larger wrestlers, WCW put time and effort into making their Cruiserweight division one of the highlights on their programming. Even if an episode sagged, viewers knew they'd get something amazing out of the Cruiserweights, with some incredible high-flying and technical wrestlers from Mexico, Japan, and North America. Working with the Cruiserweights allowed Jericho to work with some of the all-time greats of the industry, including Rey Mysterio Jr. and Eddie Guerrero, both future legends of the business. It was a feud with Dean Malenko in which Jericho delivered probably his most fondly remembered promo in career history. Malenko was known as the man of a thousand holds because of his expertise at submission wrestling. Jericho asserted that he was a better wrestler than Malenko, and he was the man of 1004 holds. To prove this, Jericho wrote a list of all 1004 wrestling moves he supposedly knew, and brought it to the ring, unfurling a comically lengthy piece of paper, which he then proceeded to read out on air. As the show returned from ad break, Jericho was still reading the list. While Jericho was the heel, it was difficult for most fans to not be amused at his blatant lying, coming up with moves that simply did not exist, and padding out the vast majority of items on the list with armbar. Ultimately, this would prove to be emblematic of Jericho's work throughout his career. Even when behaving absolutely appallingly, fans would find it difficult not to be entertained by him, due to his natural gift for comedy. Another memorable skit saw Jericho get increasingly frustrated and angry as he headed to the ring for a match, but as the camera following him documented, he couldn't find his way out of the backstage area. Things didn't remain sunshine and roses for Jericho in WCW. The company's lack of understanding of his character frustrated him. WCW evidently saw more in Jericho's comedy than they did his wrestling. This, unfortunately, led to his supposed personal security guard, Ralfus, accidentally overshadowing Jericho as fans latched onto the out-of-shape middle-aged truck driver with no wrestling training at Jericho's expense. Jericho would try to reinvigorate his career by repeatedly trying to push the company towards putting him in a feud with WCW World Heavyweight Champion Goldberg by repeatedly calling him out for a match. Despite this, Jericho and Goldberg never faced off in WCW. Jericho was frustrated by this, as he felt all that needed to happen was for Goldberg to soundly defeat him on pay-per-view, and the match would still have been a big enough money draw as fans paid to see the heel Jericho get his mouth shut by fan favourite Goldberg. Despite this, Eric Bischoff, Goldberg and Hulk Hogan refused to allow the match to happen. An additional knife twist came when Jericho's girlfriend bought an action figure double pack of Jericho and Malenko. Jericho realised to his horror that the receipt for the figures read Hogan Sting, which meant he and Malenko would receive no royalties from any such sale, and Hogan and Sting would make money for a sale they never made. Jericho further says he once received a royalty check for zero dollars and zero cents from WCW, a number he knew to be factually impossible. Jericho had had enough, and he left WCW in July of 1999. Towards the end of his WCW tenure, Jericho had received the attention of WWF chairman Vince McMahon. The two had spoken on the phone, but McMahon was smart enough to know not to talk contracts with Jericho while he was still a WCW performer, knowing such conversations would be illegal. However, that didn't stop McMahon from inviting Jericho to the McMahon family mansion. Jericho, still a WCW talent at the time, was invited to be part of a booking meeting with, among others, McMahon, then WWF head writer Vince Russo, and McMahon right-hand man Bruce Pritchard. Vince asked Jericho for his opinions on the finishes to the show they were laying out, and Jericho duly gave them. The discussion of contracts never once came up during the meeting. Jericho would later learn that the purpose of the meeting was to see if McMahon could trust him. Jericho never breathed a word of the meeting to anyone at WCW, and earned Vince's respect as a result. Jericho's World Wrestling Federation debut was planned meticulously in advance. Rather than simply bring him in unannounced or in the middle of the card, Jericho was to debut in the biggest possible fashion. Not only would he debut in a segment with The Rock, he interrupted The Rock for his debut, something which few men would dare to do. With millennium fever running rampant as the year 2000 loomed, the WWF began displaying on their programming a video of a countdown clock ticking down, the countdown to the new millennium. The clock ran out not on July 1st, 2000, but at the precise exact moment Chris Jericho made his WWF debut, earning him the nickname Y2J after Y2K year 2000. Jericho worked closely with McMahon and The Rock to craft the segment down to the word, and the result is one of the most fondly-remembered moments in wrestling history. In truth, Jericho's star seemed to fade faster than expected in those early months in the WWF. Somewhat meandering in the midcard, Jericho's first feud of any note was against China, Later pitting Jericho against the similarly incredible in-ring performers Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle earned Jericho the respect of the fans, who were starting to feel he was being held back once again. Painfully, Jericho was intended to be in the main event of WrestleMania 2000, but was switched out for Mick Foley, who, admittedly, was the original planned entrant for the match. The WWF keen to rebuild Jericho tried an experiment on the April 17th, 2000 episode of Raw. Jericho challenged WWF champion Triple H for the latter's title, and won when referee Earl Hebner, incensed at Triple H's repeated poor treatment of him, made a fast count, and awarded Jericho the title. However, the decision was overturned the same night, and the championship reign is not recognised. The experiment proved a success, however, as fan reaction to Jericho's win proved there was an appetite for Chris Jericho, WWF champion. Ultimately, in 2000 and early 2001, Jericho would still have to take a back seat in the main event picture. The Rock, Triple H, Kurt Angle, The Undertaker, and the returning Stone Cold Steve Austin were largely overshadowing everyone else on the roster. But since business was so good, and everyone was making money, it would have been hard to complain. And Jericho was always a featured performer on any card he appeared on. And as for Triple H himself, he was taken out with a quadriceps injury in a tag team match, pitting himself and Stone Cold Steve Austin against the team of Jericho and Benoit. In 2001's Invasion storyline, following the WWF purchase of WCW, Jericho would be a member of Team WWF, though his inability to work with The Rock made him a questionable ally on a number of occasions. Jericho won the WCW Championship, now the property of the WWF, in this period, defeating The Rock. This cemented Jericho as a main event player, and granted him his first World Championship reign. Jericho's on-off feud with The Rock would come to a head at Survivor Series, where Team WWF and Team Alliance fought for control of basically the entire wrestling landscape, and Jericho attacked The Rock in a jealous rage, almost costing Team WWF the match. At vengeance that year, Jericho came out very much on top. He defeated The Rock once more for the WCW Championship, and then went on to defeat Stone Cold Steve Austin in the same night for the WWF Championship. The feat, now completely inimitable, saw Jericho defeat the two biggest stars in the company. Nobody has ever, before or since, defeated both The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, in the same night. Both men are easily on the list of the top three biggest wrestling stars of all time. But moreover, in winning the two world championships, Jericho had become the first undisputed world champion in wrestling for decades. Jericho would cap off these feuds with singles wins over The Rock and Austin at the following two pay-per-view events, before clashing with 2002 Royal Rumble winner the returning Triple H, who completed his redemption and returned to the ring with a decisive victory over Jericho in the main event of WrestleMania 18 for the championship. And that leads Jericho to the start of our timeline. In many ways, Chris Jericho was one of the unsung heroes of the Attitude Era, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But the ruthless aggression era would see Jericho become one of the company's top stars his almost incomparable ring-work, amazing character-work, and skill at reinventing his persona, see Chris Jericho become what we know him as today, one of the greatest of all time. And you lucky listeners have it all to look forward to. Time before we go to have a dive into our mailbag then. Right, first off, Barda, or Bader perhaps, I'm not sure, uh, at formerly Decent on Twitter wrote to let us know the comedian being referenced in the Rock and Vince segment on our second episode was Bill Cosby. So thank you for that, Barda, because I would have never figured that one out in a million years. Barter also adds they're really enjoying the podcast and they grew up during this era so they're fascinated hearing it from a different point of view. Also, fuck Bill Cosby. I agree, Barter. Fuck Bill Cosby. Thank you for getting in touch with the show. I really appreciate your comments. Austin Chu at Achoo, I Sneezed, excellent Twitter username Austin, says of the episode we covered today, Kurt angles like Charlie Brown to edges Lucy, with Edge's attempts to make Kurt believe he's being sincere, being like Lucy trying to get Charlie to kick the football only to pull it away at the last moment. Plus, everyone hates Kurt and tells him he sucks. Uh, that's a fair point, Austin. You did, however, miss the most obvious comparison, which is that neither Kurt nor Charlie Brown have much going on in the old scalp department. More on which in future episodes, by the way. Thank you for getting in touch, Austin. And lastly, Eric Reinhardt at the Rain 5136 on Twitter sent some quickie feedback on our last episode, and he says, As always, great job, guys. LT and Duel crushed it. Thanks, Eric. Glad we could entertain. Hopefully, we'll continue to crush it. And that's about all for the mailbag today, but don't forget you can send us your tweets and emails at RARelived, or to my personal Twitter account at LTDangerous, and you can send some nice little feedback and words of praise to Stu at Stupacabra. The show's email address is LTRuthlessAggression at gmail.com. Send us your feedback and comments, and they may just be read out on a future mailbag segment. Always keen to get your views not just on the podcast, but on the subject matter, and next episode's subject matter is a little bit out of the ordinary. We'll be covering the final show ever broadcast under the name World Wrestling Federation, as the WWF takes a trip to the UK for Insurrection 2002. Oh, and did I mention? The return journey was one of the most infamous moments in wrestling history. Oh yes, in addition to Insurrection... We'll be taking a look at the plane ride from hell. Until next time, guys, thanks as ever for listening. Send those tweets to at rarelive and emails to ltruthlessaggression at gmail.com. And we'll see you again soon for Insurrection 2002.